it's the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here on Radio 2XX 98.3 FM and we are talking science today and we have brought into the studio a bunch of University of Canberra students who have been studying hard on your behalf to bring you subjects of xenotransplantation, laughter, super volcanoes and urinary tract infections and Alzheimer's disease. And I'd like to welcome into the studio now Dr. Jim Woolnow, who is the, uh, the lecturer for this unit at uh, the University of Canberra. And good morning, Jim. Good morning, Rod. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the course, please, before uh, we launch our lucky students into their spiels about what their subject is. Yes, Rod, these students are in a subject called communication in science, mostly first-year students, but some... Um, later-year students in the course. The main idea of that uh, subject is to help them develop skills in communicating science in all sorts of contexts, and that includes the standard sort of written work and presentation. But one of the aspects we've tried to concentrate on this um, year is to help them develop skills in communicating science to the public which I think is a very important um, oh, we part like, of we science. We like that on fuzzy logic because we do that's, indeed. that's what we do. And uh, now science communication is something that you might encounter no matter where you are, in the street, in the milk bar, talking to your colleagues, other scientists. I think so. Parties at night and you don't know what to talk about, just talk about science. It just can't go wrong, can it? Now, uh, our first subject for the day is laughter, and that is laughter as therapy. And uh, we like a good laugh, and lots of things happen to your body. And so I'm going to introduce now our students today. These We have Jamie. G'day, Jamie. Hey. Louder. Come on, say louder. Hi. That's it. Let's take one more time with feeling. And we have Orlina. Hey, what's up? G'day. And uh, Yelena. Hi. Okay, now speak into the microphone because that's where we hear you. Hello. That's the way. Now, your subject... Is laughter. We're going to have a good laugh on Fuzzy Logic today. And just to get you in a good laughing mood, guess what? I have a quiz question for you. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, it's a tough one, too. Okay, this one. Um, I have to admit, I didn't know a couple of weeks ago what this was, but I was researching a story that I was writing. And here it is. The word is thixotropic. Have you ever heard this word, thixotropic? Sounds tropical. <laughs> like Hawaii or something like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you some options, and at the end of your section, I'm going to ask you what you think it means, and does it, A, relate to ink? Is it a drug-induced state? Is it unpleasant topical condition? <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't bring any drugs into the studio, so sorry, can't treat it. Oh, it's okay. And is it a hypothesised environment in which aliens might live? Is, it, is that fixotropic, did you say? Fixotropic, and it's spelt um, T-H-I-X-O-tropic. Fixotropic. I think it's the one about the aliens. Alien one. Sounds the coolest. Yeah. Well, we get aliens. Now, your subject is laughter. Laughter Tell us about laughter. Well, basically, we're focusing on a couple of different aspects on it. Uh, The therapy of it, which is Yelena's topic. Um, Jamie was focusing on the brain aspect of it and how it actually affects us, what the effect is physically and what's happening in our brains. And I was focusing on the education. So is laughter a a valuable aspect when you grow up? Does it help create who you are sort of thing? So that was all really, really interesting um, for us to look at and for us to study and had a lot of fun doing it. (laughs) So let's start with uh, the laughter as therapy then. I mean, Mm -hmm. is it a useful uh, thing in our therapy toolkit? 
Okay, I think I think it's really useful. Um, my research showed that laughter has many benefits, and that's why there are laughter therapy groups. And they, what they do basically, they get into different types of group, whatever form of the therapy they are, and they just stimulate stimulate laughter. Do we know what happens inside the body when somebody laughs? Um, that's what Jamie uh. told me. <laughs> okay, well we'll hold that question for Jamie when she has a go. Uh, so, what are the, some of the ways of administering laughter? I mean, do you get uh, like a, a bottle and you have a ten mil dose of laughter? How does that work? <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Which, um, well, no. Um, in, depending on what type of therapy it is, um, you can either use like there's laughter yoga, so you're just using yogi, yogic breathing and. Um, using laughter as well or you can do other types of therapy and they use humorous materials to make you laugh so it's just about stimulating laughter like a forced laughter even yeah so they force you to laugh the body yeah. can't dif- differentiate between fake laughter and real laughter so you're going to get the same effects oh you mean so if I go ha 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 is the same with as with feeling yeah <laughs> you got to force the feeling a bit of a fake laugh like, like ha ha <laughs> <laughs> see so, do, what, so what's happening then I mean is it um is it a psychological thing? Is it a physical thing? Where's the benefits coming from? Yeah, that's, that's a bit of both. That's yeah. an interesting question, though, when you think about it. Is it where is it exactly? How scientific is laughter? How much can you test it? That's like the deep hypothetical yeah. thinking underneath all of it. You that's know, sort of so what I looked at um, laughter, emotions mixed with the physical. So I looked at how emotions affect laughter as a whole. So um, the emotion on its own, and then laughter yeah. uh, as a physical aspect. Oh, so um, now I've heard of people who are giving away cigarettes, right? And what they do is, <laughs> <laughs> what, what they do is, they you know, it's the sheer act of taking, putting it in your mouth, and then drawing in deeply. So what they do is they take an imagined. I'm doing the little air quotes here. Cigarette. <laughs> they walk outside. They put the lips up to their fingers as if they've got a cigarette, and they go, <sighs> and then and, and it feels good. So it's it's a physical thing, but there's some psychological thing going on at the same time that isn't there yeah it's sort of like laughter is you've got to separate laughter into two um components then you've got your emotional and your physical and then um when you put them together then you've got your uh sincere laughter as opposed to uh pathological laughter which is um just the physical aspects so if you want just the medical side effects of laughing so if you are chronically depressed and your brain isn't functioning properly and the doctor assumes that laughter is going to elevate your mood and your emotional state he might force or stimulate laughter in your brain and that's going to then have the medical side effects which is just pathological there's no emotional involvement for example you're not watching a movie or having a joke with a friend you're not being stimulated emotionally it's just purely physically and then if you're emotionally stimulated again it has the same psychological effects but you don't have the emotional satisfaction with it so are there, there chemicals um shooting into your brain as you have this good giggle uh yeah it's more the release of endorphins so a whole heap of hormones are released during laughter so that's the good feeling it's like um how people have said chocolate releases endorphins it's yeah. like laughter releases endorphins that's right it makes you feel good yeah. yeah basically when you're laughing you're just generally happy yeah, now I heard last week that um, they've done some economic studies on the benefits of putting big windows in hospital wards and they found that if the patient can actually see the outside world they, rec- they heal more quickly because just the simple fact that they can see outside their glum yellow walls They're motivated the to, to get out there sort of thing Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it kind of taps into the placebo effect too which science yeah. doesn't really have a good explanation for but every medical clinical trial has to exclude the placebo effect because it's so powerful so 
yeah, laughter is a, yeah. that's very yeah. emotional yeah. base. It's yeah. also very, it's contagious. We all know it's contagious. So yeah, if I just fake laugh, you're all going to start laughing. Well, too. we're not going to now, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah. And what about a good yawn? Amygdala, it's a part of the brain, um, which you, it's what you can notice if someone's angry, um, recognition. So, uh, in the brain, it, it helps you emotionally respond to that person. Yeah, so you look at someone, see they're laughing, it's the amygdala actually working and recognising, oh, they're laughing, okay, I want to laugh too. Yeah, and that's almost like you can think about that's a, genetic, that's a genetic thing or it's a thing that you inherited from hundreds of years. If you have somebody who's isolated by themselves, for example, um, far Arctic pole or anything like that, and then they actually are able to recognise someone laughing in Australia, you recognise that emotion and that feeling and that energy the other person has if you laugh at someone, even if you've never seen them before. And you notice everyone's laugh is unique. So the fact that you can pick up on other people's laughter as that being laughter and then associate a positive emotional reaction with that is just amazing. Uh, look, life would be miserable. I know people <laughs> who don't seem to laugh very much, but to me, a day without a laughter is is a day not worth having. But you notice there's different kinds of laughter. There's like there's the oh, the, absolutely, the, yeah, the, the, the nervous, <laughs> 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 and then there's a big belly laugh, and then there's almost the laughter as a crying and like. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we were sort of just talking about it before. Um, uh, if you now that when we see people laugh, you sort we start analysing like, oh, they're nervous laughing. That's right. Well, we do it ourselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our cells are laughing, and we're thinking, oh wow, I just did a nervous laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. When the policeman pulls you over and says, "I'd like you to uh, 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 do this whole <laughs> test here." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, have you have you guys gone to places where this uh, is practiced, like a, a hospital or something like that? Or uh, have you heard of Norman Cousins? No. He's a, a doctor who believes it's only in therapeutic laughter. He has a cousin. He has a, a hospital called the Gesundheit Institute. It's in Germany, I think. And we it's no, we haven't. <laughs> not recently. You but, need, re- um, need research grant, don't you? <laughs> but he, yeah, there's a huge waiting list to work there for him. If you're a doctor or a practitioner, he heals people through the idea that if you make them feel good about themselves, and if you, um, um, you know, implement laughter and humor into a day to day. Uh, thing, then that sort of makes them become more aware of how good life can be and, and how positivity in your mind actually does help you become happier and more positive in general. Yeah. I, I love the fact that you, you bring a, a human side into a science. You know, uh, people sometimes tend to think of science as people in white coats, all very <laughs> long columns of figures adding stuff up and glasses of you know, test tubes and chemicals and stuff <laughs> all mixing it. And, and, but this is... Do we have any evidence of how effective it is? I mean, do we have other studies it showing? It depends on... I guess if you look at it from a scientific point of view, evidence is defined differently as if you look at it from a life point of view. I guess you, you can't... There are things in life that you can't explain. that just are. And with uh, laughter, you someone, someone laughs at you, you laugh back at them. It's an emotional response. How do you explain an emotion scientifically? How do you do that? How do you sit there and go... Uh, I'm sad because of these, yes, you can say this hormone releases this and you can have a certain drug that's going to make you happier to release different hormones and not that's going to help you balance that out. But emotionally, at the root of emotion, what is it? How do you explain that scientifically? How yeah. do you sit there and explain that? It's really difficult. I don't think you can. I think it's something yeah. that is just a human aspect that we have that you can't. So we have to have a very human element to this subject. Yeah, it is being put into practice, though, like with yeah, like, um, clowns in hospitals yeah, and so camp quality. Like you've all heard about clown doctors. So basically they go around in the hospitals, they follow the doctors around and do their clown rap 
clown, the clown routine sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're just there to make the children laugh and give them a Kids positive aspect as well. Channel, yeah. yeah. So it's like positive healing as well through laughter, and they're also there for the support of families. Yeah. And you think to yourself, well. so we have evidence, evidence, quote fingers, of that that it does help. Um, we're not going to sit there and isolate someone and make them sad and isolate someone and make them happy and see which one dies first sort of thing. You can't, there's like an ethical, obviously, issue with it. You can't say, okay, laughter, you know, scientifically we don't have any proof really, but emotionally we all know common sense even that laughter is something that we love to do and it's something that connects us all emotionally as human beings, as friends. We mm-hmm. form our relationships around laughter yeah. and humour and It's positivity. sort of incredible. You think about um, thousands of years ago, like even jesters in courts. Like, yeah, absolutely. They, they yeah. didn't know why they were laughing. They didn't know. That, they just knew they wanted to laugh. Uh, sort of you know, I, you just given me an idea. <laughs> I, I think that we should use this in our, uh, in our foreign uh, policy that instead of sending men with guns and bombs <laughs> and things, <laughs> that we should go to the foreign lands with laughter squads and have a good belly laugh for the people over there and say, do you guys having a really crap day, aren't you? Oh, well, did you hear the one about the da-da-da-da? And uh, maybe the world would be a better place. Or I might Certainly, be more yeah. fluffy here. Well, the Humor, um, Humor Foundation does have an organisation called Smile Around the World, and so they send some clown doctors around to children in Afghanistan, East Timor, yeah. and just... Yeah, yeah. Share right, the laughter. We, speaking of laughter, we have our photographer here, and he's taking photos. <laughs> he hasn't got the flash on. Silly face. But uh, we, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got a website set up for this uh, broadcast, and it's get your pen out. You ready? It's www.sixus.photoblog.com. Photoblog one word. dot com slash fuzzy logic or one word fuzzy logic and you can see photos from our broadcast as we go where and also streaming live across the internet you there now i think it's time to hit you with the oh thixotropic no. question yes this is it okay thixotropic <laughs> and your choices were is it relating to ink is it a drug induced state is it an unpleasant topical condition or is it a hypothesized environment in which aliens might live I'm thinking the, the using drug. I was thinking the trop, like the weather one. What was it? The weird climate, yeah, fixotropic. Fixotropic, actually, an unpleasant uh, topical condition. Topical condition. Topical, uh. not topical. But it could be in the tropics. <laughs> oh god, it's just a miscommunication, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the answer is. Oh god. Number one, it's the ink. It's the no ink. way. Yes, it's an ink, and it was in. Uh, I didn't write the details down, but in 1965 or something like that, this guy named Fisher and he invented uh, thixotropic ink. And what happens is it's uh, semi-solid in the body of the pen. I'm holding a pen up, as you see. Look into your radios, you can see it. Uh, and as it rolls into the, bo- the roller ball, it gets sh- the shearing force of the ball converts it into a liquid, and then it goes onto your page. How about uh. that? There's science for you. <laughs> Nothing tropical about that at all. And so, thank you, girls. It's been a blast talking to you. And uh, so, good on you, uh, Jamie. Yep. Oh, thank you. Uh, Olena. <laughs> Thanks. And Yelena. Thank you. And you are listening to Fuzzy Logic here on Community Radio 2 98.3 FM. And here's a bit of John Butler for you. By the way, what is a syncopated rhythm? Do you know what a syncopated rhythm is? No. Here is one. You're about to hear it. It goes da, 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 da. You're expecting a note on the beat and it doesn't arrive. And is that the uh, first one? That's uh, uh, the first one? The first note on the beat that doesn't arrive. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's just during the <laughs> rhythm. There's a, and you listen carefully. And also, jumping Jack Flash. 
I met a da 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 da. Okay, anyway, that's enough <laughs> of that. Here goes Zebra by the John Butler Trio. Here on Community A, 2XX98.3 FM. Boom. That's uh, John Butler Trio with Zebra, a very funky piece of music. I do like that. You are listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here on Community Radio 2XX, and we're talking to the University of Canberra students about all sorts of really interesting things. We just did the topic of laughter, and guess what we're going to talk about now? Xenotransplantation. So transplant, as in to move something, and xeno, as in, well, I'll let you ask that, but I think... I might ask these guys a trivia question because I'm feeling mean. And this one I could say for our volcano friends, but I'm not. I'm going to ask you instead. And it is a caldera. What <laughs> is a caldera? Is it the hole created by the ex- an explosive volcanic eruption? Is it the hole caused by the collapse of a magma chamber? Is it an Italian cigar? Hey. Or is it an Italian liqueur? <laughs> uh, okay, so just, before uh, we go into that one, uh, let me introduce who you're actually going to be hearing. So, g'day to John. John. Yes, yes. Hey, John. How do you speak up, man? Good, Mike. How are you going? Uh, welcome to Fuzzy Logic. And then we've also got Tom. Yep, hello. G'day, Tom. And Tarindu. Hey, gay. Yeah, make sure you're talking to the microphone there because it's a bit of a reach. Okay. All right, yeah, now your topic today is xenotransplantation, but uh, before we do that, just back to that quiz thing, what was your, do you have any feelings that you're going to be able to answer that one about the caldera? Well, I think it'd be pretty cool if there was the cigar, but... Probably the second one too. Yeah, what was the second one? Oh, okay, your choices were a hole created by an explosive volcanic eruption, a Mm. hole caused by the collapse of a magma chamber, an Italian cigar or... Italian liqueur. <laughs> well, we, we will leave you off the spot, and you can uh, come back to those question or that question at the end of your section. So, um, xenotransplantation. What? What is xenotransplantation? Yes, xenotransplantation is the process of uh, transplanting uh, uh, animal organs, primarily uh, from fixed into humans. From pigs. Um, yeah, from fixed mm. into. Or humans. any animal. Any. Or mm. any animal. Previous yeah. was like baboons. That's where they started. But yeah. then um, they actually thought pigs have much more anatomical similarities between humans. So now they're sort of concentrated on pigs rather than the baboons. they can be bred easier. So harvested, you know, pig farms, and they can just harvest the organs that way. So mm. pigs are a bit easier, baboons. Uh, yeah, I guess they're harder mm. to work with, aren't yes. they? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I have heard of uh, places in Africa where you, you know you go to a restaurant, and these things climb into the window and nick your croissants. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, a bit harder to catch. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to catch, like baboons. So what what sort of uh, what sort of transplants are we talking about? What sort of organs are we looking at here? Ah, uh, pretty much all of them. Well, that's the aim, I think, to harvest all of them that they can and 
put them into people to save their lives so they don't have to wait for our human organs to become available. So there is a, there is a shortage of, of human organs for transplantation. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And is that what's driving this research, the shortage of, yeah. of donors? And the yeah. waiting list as well, because if you don't actually have, especially with hearts and lung organs, you have, there are a huge waiting list, mm. but having pigs as a host, you can have sort of a backup. Mm. Plus they need to type it to people so they need to be a match so yep. that's another thing so with the pigs they can genetically modify them so that they're going to be a match for the person from the get-go oh you mean uh is this modifying the uh, the pig uh, yeah the actual the genes of the pig yes. yeah yeah really so in other words the pigs bred so that they can give us their organs exactly yeah. exactly definitely yeah they're already giving us uh, their organs, yeah, aren't they, already. when we put the them on the, in our studio? <laughs> <Yeah. So laughs> we just want everything. So, okay, so pigs are easy to handle, more than baboons, establish that. Uh, what else about pigs is that they It's really similar to human as well. It's, uh, it's fake, it's the similar organ to size. The organ size. The size of the animal, yeah. And... Um, I have heard of pigs being referred to, or, or, or humans, you know, where people eat other people, they call it long pig in the Pacific Islands. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but um, uh, yeah, so what sort of process would you go through if you, you know, if someone's like, oh, I've got a heart condition, I've been doing fuzzy logic too hard, my heart's getting <laughs> weak, it's, it's, you know, it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, sort of, what sort of process would, would, would go on here? Um, well, I guess... At the moment, they're not actually doing it, so they're not transplanting the organs into people yet because it's not at that stage. So um, I guess at the moment, you can get the valves, though, the pig heart valves. The procyne valves? Yeah. Which are heart valves, like Tom was saying. Mm. So they're not actually going through the actual organ transplant. They're actually in the starting process. Mm. But at the moment, they actually um, advance the technology by trans planting valves like frozen valves because you get the mechanical valves plus you know how you say the bypass valves yeah yeah yeah. yes similar to that you get the frozen and the mechanical at the moment scientists have found frozen valves are much more better than the mechanicals ah uh, okay so there's advantages of using a thing from another animal rather than yeah yes a a mechanical piece of machinery Mm -hmm. yeah um so we have we used a we haven't used a pig heart valve yet then, is that what you're saying? No, we do. We do. We are using moment. Pig yeah. just pig not the entire the organ, organ as a whole. So not the whole heart, just the valves at the moment. They're still doing experiments trying to get a whole heart into something else and make it function. Right. Um, so don't we tend to reject, our bodies tend to reject them? Yeah. It's hard enough getting an mm. organ from... A, now, our uh, lecturer outside, uh, Jim, who's watching intently, um, studied allotransplantation, which yep. is... Transplantation. Human to human. Yeah. Human to human. Yeah. So we're getting reasonably good at that, aren't we? Well, the thing about that is you... Uh, no, I don't want to offend anyone. You have to wait in a waiting list, plus you have to wait someone to donate you the particular organ. Yeah. But yeah. whereas if you have a um, process like xenotransplantation, you can actually have a backup. So, you know... If that certain person is waiting for a lung transplant or organ, um, heart transplant, you know, that pig is ready to go. Yeah. Mm. But he, the, a pig is still, I mean, in some ways it's like humans. I mean, tastes a bit like <laughs> if, if you believe that story. Mm. Uh, but physically, you know, like approximately the right size. Uh, 
but still the chemistry of a pig and the genetics of a pig must be quite different. You did say that you were talking mm. about genetic modification here, but yeah. uh, it must be a pretty tough thing for a body to accept an organ yeah. from another animal type of thing. It doesn't do it very well. So that's the big barrier that they're looking at at the moment. So they're trying to modify that pig so that when it is transplanted into the human, the body doesn't reject it straight away. Because, yeah, that's what happens with all kinds of transplantation. They also you know, use the immunosuppression drugs yeah, as well yeah, at the moment. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's, all, it's always rejected. It's just with um, xenotransplantation, it tends to happen a bit quicker than with human to human as well. I guess because the body recognises, you know, that this is definitely not even from the same species. All the foreign proteins yeah, on the cell yeah. walls and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then it happens, you know, during the operation even. So are you, are you, how long off do you think you get the feeling this is? Is it something <laughs> that is like 10, 5, 50 mm. years? I mean, what, is, it, is it really? I think it's a low process. Like uh, um, the person doesn't survive that long. Say eighteen month in the, during the operation, yeah. and the person die. But is it? But how long do you think it'll be before it's a common procedure? Uh, as the as the uh, technology and the science knowledge progressing, I I, I think it's gonna be uh, five years mm. to Quite ten a while. years. The thing there's all kinds of there's less yeah. uh, funding done to xenotransplantation, whereas compared with stem cell research. The governments are doing are giving more funds and more challenges, whereas xenotransplantation stands like third or fourth place. Mm. Uh, and then there's all the other sorts of issues, like the ethical ones, and mm. you know certain religions might not want a pig heart because they don't eat pig. So yeah, having an actual pig organ well. inside of them would be a bit, yeah. bit yeah. of a no go. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you feel about the ethics of this? Because we are just using animals for our own good. But I mean, what's your what's your feeling about that? Oh, I'm, a, I'm pretty all right with it. I'm all right. <laughs> it's just some religions, as like Tom said, some cultures don't believe that they should do it. So do you, do you think it's okay? Like we turn animals into shoes and into hamburgers and things. Mm. So is it really just well, the think, same thing? Yeah. Now when they're going through the slaughterhouses and things, I mean, I don't know what happens to the organs. But, yeah, I mean, they're still there. The animal's still getting killed. Might as well use the organs as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the point, yeah. Well, they are they are there. I mean, we are using up their bodies, so... Um, Why yeah. waste an underbart? Yeah. Now, what about the idea that uh, we're going to introduce um, foreign viruses into mm. humans? Because we know that the are uh, pool of like things like um, the HIV virus, I believe, we think probably is something that skipped us, the H5N1 from birds... Yep. Uh, got into humans from uh, other animals. Do you, do you think this is a risk? Well, they go through a quarantine process first, and then they find... They don't just pick up any pig from anywhere. They just yeah. go through a process, and then they pretty much find clean pigs. And if they have a particular breed of pigs, they clone it to suit the needs of xenotransplantation. Uh, okay, so super, super... Um, Something uh, like that. Something like that. And, and it has to be modified properly. It's inside that it's, uh, it's not the... Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that people are talking a lot about. They're concerned about it, that's for sure. The risk of transmitting viruses and things. Well, in a way, I'm glad. I don't know. Baboons, they're probably pretty common, I guess. They're not, are they not an endangered animal? Are they? Um, not yeah, too sure. Not sure. Maybe yeah. some, some are very dangerous, <laughs> like um, chimpanzees are all sort of the... Uh, um, 
some are really very strong yeah that you can't you can't kill them I, <laughs> <laughs> I just got an image of you chasing a baboon through the wild. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I guess you, you know, like you say, you don't just pick up a pig that's walking down the street and yeah. say, oh, I'll, I'll have you all. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, some guy's walking his pig down and you just take it. I don't think that's that wouldn't work. All right, so what's the overriding feeling you get from having looked at this? I mean, how, how do you, what's your feeling about the whole subject now, having done it? Um, well, probably they should try hybridizing the technology with other, like I mentioned earlier, stem cell research. So not only by as a single isolated xenotransplantation, so hybridize it with stem cell research, so all together. Yeah. So that might be helpful for us humans in the future. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot of potential to be really good to save a lot of people's lives. Yeah, and well, when we're sick, you know, we can all be... It's amazing how our ethics change when mm. the situation oh, yeah. faces off. Like, like you say, when you're young, oh, when I'm old and grey, I'm just going to kill myself because I can't bear to be decrepit. Mm. And uh, we're talking about Alzheimer's later on, in fact, I think, aren't we? Um, yep. Um, but it's amazing, when you're faced with a situation yourself, your worldview changes with it. What about you, John? What's your feeling about this, having, uh, having been through all this, you look, looked at this subject? Uh, I, I think it's a very interesting and it's a fair way to uh, to learn a lot in science and um, and and there's a lot of discoveries uh, in the modern world today. Like you have to uh, talk to people about science, what's going on, and uh, really um, convince people what in terms of what is going on. Like think like xenotransplantation and uh, um, and genetical. G- genetics uh, modification, yeah, things like that in the science, it needs really to understand them. That's why I really like to understand what is going on in yeah, science. Yeah, yeah, it all moves so fast, and our society has trouble at keeping up with the pace of it. All right, so let's finish off now with our quiz question about the cold era. <laughs> Was it the Italian cigar? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to so. say uh, yes, uh, but yeah, I don't think so. Uh, we've, got have, we've got Italian cigars in the studio, along with the Italian liqueur. Oh, really? They could two go together. What do you reckon? Was yeah. it one of those two? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say something to do with volcanoes. Yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's the yeah. volcano one. You're right. Was yeah, it the second one there? Yes, it's actually the caused by the collapse of a magma chamber. So... Oh. Uh, I was actually would have been wrong if you'd asked me this last week. It's not the explosive uh, volcanic rea- reaction. So, good night, guys, and thank you. And a good topic, really interesting stuff to see. He talking something about them on the threshold of science. So, John, good on you. Say goodbye. Thank, thanks. And uh, Tom. Thank you. And Tarindu. Thank you. Good night, guys, and we're going to go on. To, here's my Dr. Carl Prime, which I'm very proud of, and then we're going to play. Uh, always on my mind by somebody or other who knows we'll figure it out you're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here on Community 2 X 90.3 FM oh and don't forget we're uploading our pictures during the show to photoblog.com slash 
Fuzzy Logic. Okay, here's Dr. Carl. Trubisky. Now, you might know me from TV shows like Quantum, Sunrise, Sleep Geeks, radio shows like Triple J, Up All Night on the BBC, books like Science is Golden, Never Mind the Bullocks, Dinosaurs Aren't Dead. And, of course, I recommend that you get your science from me, but when you can't, or in addition, tune into the fabulous Fuzzy Logic Science Show on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM, Sundays, 11.30. Remember, the universe depends on it. And uh, we listen to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, Community Radio 98.3 FM 2XX. And now we're going to be talking about volcanoes. And uh, we've got uh, Trent. G'day, Trent. Yeah, how's it going? Good, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic. We've got Morgan. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, Morgan. Uh, we've got Rosalind. Hi. G'day, Rosalind. And Rachel. Hey, everyone. Hey, Rachel. Okay, now your topic is... Super volcanoes. Super volcanoes, that's right. And I also, because I'm a mean SOB, I have a quiz question for you. This one is a a dioptra. A dioptra? Yeah, give me the visual cue if you know, if you've heard the word dioptra before. No? Uh, Two of something. Okay, here we go. Your choices will be is it a device for measuring an angle? Is it a type of fruit fly? Is it a class of insect with binocular vision, or is it an item of personal hygiene? Oh, tough one, tough one. Okay, we will uh, we will come back to that one. And the blank faces all across the studio. <laughs> so you know, you're not really sure what that one is. That's okay. We have our science students who are struggling with this one. So we're going to talk now about super volcanoes. G'day, take it away. What's a super volcano? Well, a supervolcano is basically a volcano that produces uh, 200 cubic kilometres worth of just material. So that includes gas, um, smoke, lava, you name it. And yeah, it's <laughs> it basically would be very bad if it erupted. It's a dirty big bang. Yes. Lots of, <laughs> lots of gunk goes up. Here's, here's a really tough question for you. Can you say the name of the one that erupted in uh, Iceland recently? Iceland. Um, you know what I'm talking Was that a supervolcano? That, no, that wasn't a supervolcano. It wasn't a supervolcano. If no. it was, you'd know it. <laughs> there, there's only a few supervolcanoes in the world, and the one we're talking about, um, Yellowstone, is one of the few. Um, it's, it's pretty big. It's much bigger than any regular volcano, which makes it different to a normal volcano because it's obviously a supervolcano. But the Yellowstone one, it's it's massive. It's about 74 kilometres wide, 55 kilometres long. It, it's quite gigantic. Ah, <laughs> oh, so it makes a hell of a racket and a hell of Absolutely. a lot of mess when it goes. <laughs> yeah. So is that the last one? What was the most recent one that we've uh, had? Total. About, it erupted about 75,000 years ago, and it injected enough gas and everything into the um, atmosphere to cause the volcanic winter. They wiped out the human population down to about 5,000, 2,000 individuals, which caused us to have genetic bottleneck. So pretty much we could have been extinct after that erupted. Wow. Our entire race could have got killed. That, that's a pretty doer thought there. Yeah. So in other words, it's not just a really spectacular bit of geology going on, you know, with a bit of grumbling and, uh, and farting from the planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually something that's affected life on Earth. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah? In one of the other stones eruptions, they're... About 100 kilometers away from, kilometers away from Yellowstone, scientists, paleontologists found an entire mat, yeah, mammoth, rhino herd completely and utterly preserved like Pompeii. 
but just mercenary thing, 100 kilometers away from that eruption. Wow, at least sort of like a whole herd of rhino. And, well, yeah. and w- what happened to them? What would what, what have killed them, do you think? Probably the ash, how Pompeii victims probably died. So, like these pictures we're getting from Indonesia at the moment, where the people people are being smothered with with piles and piles of dust, and you're sitting. Also, just the heat from the volcanic ash and the mm-hmm. weight, um, it could kill them instantly. Yeah. So I think they they mentioned that they found um, a mother, a father, and a child, uh, mm-hmm. just sleeping in their bed, um, dead, covered in ash, just because of the the sheer heat of an eruption is just enough to knock you out quite instantly. Wow. Uh, so. It's also uh, some of the gases as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, the, you find a lot of uh, chemicals inside um, a supervolcano such as um, Yellowstone, and they usually come from depressurization and crystallization of the magma um, that's below the volcano. Um, one of the gases, the, the worst one, is sulfur dioxide, because once it's released into our atmosphere after an eruption, um, it oxidizes into sulfur, um, sulfuric acid, because it gets the oxygen atoms from our ozone layer, which has three oxygen atoms. Uh-huh. Um, this erodes our ozone layer, but it also, because you've made um, sulfuric acid, uh, these turn into acid droplets. Um, this, can call, this can block out our sun. It causes global dramatic cooling for decades or even centuries. And, of course, it falls as acid rain then, I guess. Absolutely. It can, it can cause so much damage. Uh, eventually, um, our hydrological system will wash it away, like the rain will wash it away. Uh, but yeah, we're screwed for about twenty years. <laughs> wow, Do, <laughs> you, you, you're not filling me with great optimism. But <laughs> what's the likelihood of one of these things going? Well, uh, they're not really likely. You know, it can take you know hundreds of thousands to millions of years that these things occur. Some so, people reckon it'll be that 2012 disaster that everyone's waiting for. Oh, the one with the Mayan calendar ending? Is yeah. that the one? Yeah. Oh, because the calendar doesn't go past that. That's right. Uh, what's the word? Bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> comes to mind. Oh. But, um, yeah, so what's the likelihood, do we think, though, seriously, of, of something like this going? Well, they don't reckon it'll happen any anywhere in this particular lifetime, this generation, for example. You've got a good, you know hundred or more years probably until there's any indication that'll erupt yeah um it is extremely active um it's one of the most seismically active areas in the world uh, at the yellowstone volcano they, they contribute this to um the uh magma rising up uh through the volcano so they they reckon the magma chamber is filling up yeah yeah uh, which is a good indicator that um it's getting, it's on its way. So. Ah, so I think you, you're giving me a hint here. What, what is it that makes a volcano super? <laughs> um, um, they pretty much, the way a normal volcano is, um, it, you know how it's in a cone shape? Yep. Cone yep. The t- main difference, as you picked up with the guys from before us, is the caldera. The super volcano is basically under the ground, about 10, 20 kilometers on the ground, huge magma chamber, and Gas suppression, I think, to make it erupt is basically like a cork on a bottle. You push it up, you have to use a lot of the pressure inside that to actually blow the cork. So when that cork gets blown, that's how big the eruption is. Um, so it's a particularly hot spot yeah. uh, under the mantle, or under the, uh, the crust, yeah. rather. So, uh, okay. Now, when one of these things goes off, uh, like in Pinatubo or Krakatoa, now I, I interviewed a volcanologist a couple of weeks ago at um, Geoscience Australia, mm-hmm. and um, she said that uh, Krakatoa was now 
three six hundred meters or something like that. It's mm-hmm. it's just grown in the face of like a hundred and something years or whatever long it's been. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Now, do we have um, volcanoes in Australia? <laughs> we did. Um, Australia has sort of passed its volcanic activity. Um, most of it's centred around New Zealand at the moment, uh, but that's mostly due to plate convergence margins over that area. So um, <laughs> New Zealand's unfortunate in the fact that um, it's right on top of two colliding um, crust crustal plates, mm-hmm. and that's causing a lot of volcanic activity as the plates um, get subducted under each other. Ah. Um, yeah, so, and that, that generally causes... Um, uh, mantle uh, magma to rise up and uh, er- uh, erupt out of those areas. Uh, okay, so these things tend to line up along plate boundaries. Yeah. So I, I take it then the Yellowstone one is on a plate boundary. No, it's actually not. It's a continental hotspot. So, you know, the plumes sort of formed. It's come up from the core of the Earth. Ah, so and it's a little bit different. It's a different yeah. class. Yeah. These uh, The mantle plumes is just this... Um, <laughs> if you sort of dissect the earth into little mini spheres, yeah. um, the mantles want to sort of the inner spheres. And what happens occasionally is um, the magma um, just, it decides, it's because it's really hot in the centre of the earth and it's cooler on the outside. So the heat will rush towards the outside, which causes the mantle plume to, the, to come out. So that magma will push its way up through the crust, attempting to get to that cooler area. And yeah, it'll work its way up. Um, and that's pretty much what's happening with Yellowstone is it's got it's this mantle plume and the magma is sort of just pushing its way up. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, so what, what's drawn you into this particular subject? Why did you guys get like this one? Is it, is it just the fact that things go bang and it's really fun and you see all the smoke and the bog and the, and the lava and the, and the ash and everything flying around? Or what, what is it that interests you particularly about these? Let's start from the left here with... Um, uh, sorry, Morgan, was it? Have I got the name right? <laughs> Rachel. 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 <laughs> um, Too many names. I think it's just that we've got all these movies out that are predicting the end of the world when no one actually knows that it's possible. Ah, really? Yeah. And so you're watching these movies and you feel a little frustrated because it's the science gets a bit, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unrealistic. <laughs> cool. And more me, just the power of the options and how. B- and how we don't actually know we can base some power and pass the rest we can try, kind of predict how it erupts but there's been no eruption of that scale in recorded history so we can't actually know yeah, it's yeah. completely unknown but we all know so that once one goes off we are pretty much dead yeah, there's something really enthralling, isn't it, about a, about a big bang and all that red stuff gooing up to the surface. <laughs> I love those footage you see from Hawaii with the stuff's like seeping into the under the ocean. You can see the the, the waters bubbling around it and so on. They make pretty pictures. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they do. They do, and Trent. Yeah, um, I've always just found it interesting how they're actually caused. Um, I, I like looking at uh, just generally the Earth processes, and volcanoes are a very important part of that. They uh, without volcanoes, we wouldn't have um, our continents that we have today. So I find it very interesting to look at how all that gets created and moved around. It's yeah. basically how our, 
Earth functions as a system. Yeah, and I guess it's also it's a way of recycling the contents of the Earth, isn't it? Like yeah. It brings the stuff mm. that's deep down, and we end up with diamond pipes, Kimberley diamond pipes, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, and all sorts of other things we can mine as a result of these mm. sorts of things. You get stuff like granite as well um, yeah. from magma and various sources from underneath the ground. And, of course, lots of granite around Canberra, and... Oh, well, volcanoes are, are quite fascinating because um, these guys really wanted to do the volcanic activity, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so after reading just a few journal articles, um, I'm quite chemistry-based. I, I major in chemistry at UC. So what I found fascinating was um, all the volatiles, so, so that's the chemicals within the gases and brines released in a volcano, um, what they actually do in the hydrothermal system and what they can do to our atmosphere if it were to erupt. Um, that, that really intrigued me. So is the chemistry of a volcano complicated? Um, at first, but to be honest, it can be simplified quite easily. Um, it's very broad because there's so much going on and there's a lot we actually don't know. Uh, we still don't um, completely understand where all these chemicals come from. Uh, as I said before, we, we believe they come from the depressurization and crystallization of the magma below. Uh, however, there could be other factors in this. Uh, there could be other reactions going on down there that we're not aware of. And chemicals is actually how we monitor the volcanic activity. So any fluxes of fluoride or chloride within uh, the hydrothermal system, that's how we can tell if the volcano is about to go crazy or um, if we can expect an earthquake or a tremor. That's a really good point because I know that we tend to think of a volcano as all the physical things like the rumbling and the grumblings and the gases and, and the stuff like that. But uh, the chemistry is a major, uh, a major part of it as well. All right, now let's hit you with the uh, the Dioptra question. Uh, was it a Dioptra, that's spelled D-I-O-P-T-R-A, was it a device for measuring an angle? Is it a type of fruit fly? Is it a class of insect with binocular vision? Or is it an item of personal hygiene? Well, we did biology last semester, and we know the fruit fly is Drosophila. So what do you guys think? We're going to go the... Option three. Option yeah. three. Yeah. Binocular yeah. vision. Yay, guess what? Sorry. Yeah. It's actually a device for measuring an angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough, isn't it? And Not he, enough mass in our majors. <laughs> nah. yeah. um, but look, he, he, he's a little bit trivial with it. It's speculated that the Dioptra may have been used to build the Eupilinae, and I can't pronounce it properly, aqueduct, which is one of the greatest engineering achievements of ancient times. And it's a tunnel 1,036 metres long excavated through Mount Castro on, the, on a Greek island on the 6th century BC. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so they think that uh, maybe they used it to line up the tunnels. You know how they, they, they dig these tunnels for miles and miles and miles and they manage to get them lined up with just a you know poof length of a hair's breadth uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, between them? So oh. there you go. All right, so you have done a fabulous job and thank you guys, Trent. Yep. Morgan. Yep. Uh, Rosalind. Thanks. And Rachel. See you later. From the University of Canberra. And I'm going to move, take you out with uh, Like Humans Do Radioactive by Radio Edit by David Byrne here on Fuzzy Logic. Community 2XX, FM. Uh, my name is Rod, by the way, I never said that. Here you go, Like Humans Do. Here we go, that's uh, Community Radio 2XX, the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, and you were just listening to Like Humans Do by David Byrne.